Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Simon Colgrove joins us today on his birthday and World Cancer Day. We've done this deliberately. This is a pre-recorded Sandro Forte podcast. It would be fair to say Timon's story is an inspiring one. And it's the story of a near miss, which resulted in a journey, the likes of which many of us hopefully will never face. I'm going to say no more than that because I want to utilise every second of our 30 minutes with our special guest today, which has been arranged despite a busy schedule and... Uh, in in a very short space of time. So I'm particularly pleased, honoured in fact, to have a very, very inspiring guest on the Sandro Forte podcast. Timon Colgrove, welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Sandro, it's a delight to be here. Uh, And what a strange thing. I'm in the studio with you on my birthday. And the first guest ever that's had a birthday on uh, on the day we've recorded the podcast. Oh, really? Well, there Many have returns. Thank you very much If I could sing, I would serenade you. (laughs) But unfortunately, I can. I I, I can't. Um, So... I need to ask you, first of all, for those who don't know you, Timon, which is a lovely name, by the way, oh. since I studied Shakespeare uh, can I just, years ago. Yeah, can I just say, uh, if you give a child an unusual name, that is a big ask. I always wanted to be a Dave. I was desperate <laughs> to be a Dave when I was a child because then you, you want to fit in. Having said that, now it sort of makes a bit of an impact. So having an unusual name, like Sandro, yeah. can be beneficial I've been burdened with mine, Timon, because uh, obviously coming from Italian descent on my father's side, what tends to happen is you, there's this, this this expectation from someone as I walk into the room and they're kind of looking up, expecting the six foot, two inch dark, suave, Italian, you know, Italian cool guy. And unfortunately, uh, that's not what they get. So, um, yeah, I've been <laughs> burdened with mine. But anyway, yeah. let's put the names to one side. Start, if we may, with your background. So who are you? Where do you come from? We'll talk about business life and then your particular story journey that you've been on which is unfortunately not unusual but yours is a particularly unusual journey but Mm. we'll explore that and the the reasons why in a moment just tell us a little bit about you as a as an individual background family um yes i grew up in oxford uh oxfordshire really and i'd lived in a number of places in oxfordshire and i'm still there my wife and i live in woodstock near oxford um And for 35 years, just by the way, you better know it's my 59th birthday today. You look amazing, honestly. Well, you had to say that. I know, honestly. (laughs) Well, people will see the photograph of you, actually, as part of the podcast uh, link. So they will attest to the fact you do look amazing for 59. Well, thank you very much indeed. But um, so my journey is one of 35 years in taking a small printing business. Uh, I joined as a trainee printer, eventually coming into ownership of it and taking it through through the digital revolution, which, if you think, was such a challenge. You know, the technology is changing so fast and the, the print media, whilst it's a, a wonderful media, a very tactile, interactive media, 
it had big challenges. It had dominated the market, the communications market, and suddenly it was taking, um, well, it had a new challenger, the digital market. So I stewarded the business through that and we grew. So when I joined, it was turning over about £100,000 a year. When I left, a couple of years back now, it was turning over £6 million, which for a small business mm. was particularly given the challenges of that change in the marketplace. And we were ended up doing things which I didn't even understand, like app development, uh, creative design, and, and still print. Still print was very much a part of it. So that was 35 years of hard work. And one of the reasons, probably I made it such hard work, is my understanding of leadership, which is one of a supportive role. If hierarchy exists in business, then the further you progress, uh, for me, it was eventually CEO, you're at the bottom. Let's be quite clear about that, supporting. And whilst that all sounds rather lovely, the problem with that position is, A, it's very lonely and it's exhausting. And after 35 years, I took the decision to try and exit about four years before I could. It takes a long time to exit. And it was when you've mentally moved on a bit, it starts becoming less authentic, your leadership. And it was hard work. Mm. So that that's my sort of business journey. One of relative, I was managed to secure an excellent uh, sale, um, but it was it took a lot out of me. Mm. And I mean, having been in the corporate world time and for such a long time, what what were the key things that you learned? Uh, all the well, we haven't got time to discuss all the mistakes, uh, but but obviously all the wins as well. What were the, what were the yeah. few takeaways that you can share with I, us? In terms I'd of running love to come back and talk you through <laughs> it because my learnings were just incredible. And you always think, if only I'd known that when I started off, yeah. I'd do things so differently. But you mentioned mistakes. One of the great things I introduced to the company was directors' mistake of the week. How powerful is that? Recognising that we all make mistakes and the directors. And I remember standing up and sharing my mistakes. And that's very empowering to your colleagues. So for me, it was about encouraging the real person to come through the door, the authentic you. Don't want you coming through the door playing a role as a, one of the leaders or whatever. I want you coming through the door. Bring your problems into the workplace. How about that? that what a challenge. I spent three years as chair of the Institute of Directors in Oxfordshire. And I found the old business culture uh, a, a big challenge to, to just accept old hierarchical superiority complexes. And I just didn't resonate with me. So really, the biggest learnings were getting everybody to be real and providing them with a psychologically safe space to say stuff, you know, where you're secure and you can say things with courtesy and respect. For instance, we had stick your oar in meetings. How powerful is that? I would meet as CEO with somebody from each department. We'd have a pizza in at lunchtime and we'd say to them, or I'd say to them, what bugs you? What would you change if you were running this place, you know, leading on it? What would you change? And do you know that ideas, mm. the empowerment for your work colleagues was just immense. So bring the real you to the work. To work. If, if I were to stop this podcast now, already, generally, we've got enough information to have made this listening worthwhile, because I think a lot of CEOs, people I've dealt with from time to time, would, would probably say themselves they're very much at the bottom of the pile in, yeah, in the development Good. role. But I don't think that's the way necessarily they are perceived by the workforce. 
before. So it's really nice to have that articulated. Um, so there you are. And, and also, if you don't mind me saying, Timon, what you say in terms of your philosophies about running business, almost Google-esque, the domain of a large corporate yes. organisation. But it, it just goes to show you can apply the same principles to yes. a smaller business. Yes, yeah. And I don't think it's any coincidence that it did phenomenally well. So um, all of those great things you achieved in business. Let's now f- let's flip this 180. Mm. Then, then from the joys of running a business with all that goes with it and, and, and the riches, if that's the right expression, from selling your business for whatever you could get for it, uh, your life kind of turns in an instance. What, what happens? Well, the lead up to that and, and what happened? Yes. So... Um the business took it out of me, no doubt, because it was give all. You have to give all. December 2017, uh, I signed the deal, the sale. And I thought, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a full-over medical check. Hadn't done so for a long time. I'd sort of looked after myself. I'd um, been teetotal for about 15 years. I'd, you know, I, I just tried to do the best for myself, a little bit of exercise, diet, as best I could. So I decided to have a, a, a full-blown medical, usual things, uh, bloods and all sorts. Anyway, everything was fine, except I had a slightly raised PSA. What's PSA? Didn't even know what PSA was, but I subsequently learned it was uh, prostate-specific antigen. So mine was 5.4, and for a 56-year-old at that time, it shouldn't be greater than 4, really. So it's a little bit of a concern. So I was uh, referred to a consultant, and I went to see the consultant, and he said, probably nothing, but we'll just do a scan, an MRI scan. The MRI scan showed up a few shadows and he said, probably nothing, but we'll just do a biopsy. So I had the biopsy and a prearranged date to come back in and I was hoping for a phone call to say, no need to come back in, you know, all's fine. That phone call didn't come through and so I went with my fiance to the meeting with the consultant and I suppose I knew, I suppose I did if I was honest, I... I I knew. And uh, my fiance Rebecca, held my hand and the consultant said, I'm sorry to have to tell you, Mr. Colgrove, you have prostate cancer. And what a surreal experience that was. I, you know, I'd sold the business. Uh, I'd met somebody. You know, <laughs> things were just immense great. for me. And then this sort of broadside missile comes in and just hits you like that and it didn't and I thought but I feel great I feel better than I felt for a long time but of course now with medical stuff they could look inside you and find out this sort of thing so the consultant turned over his pad and uh, started drawing a picture of my inside bits and said what we can do is give you a nerve sparing prostatectomy take the prostate out take it out you can't have prostate cancer simple as that however We'll try and cut round the nerve bundles and save them. But I should warn you that there is a 40% risk of impotence. And I'm holding my fiancé's hand at the time. There's a 40% risk of incontinence. Um, There is an alternative, something called brachytherapy, where we implant radioactive seeds in you and then they dissipate the radioactivity over the next 6 to 12 months and that zaps the cancer. 
but there's a similar risk, 40% chance of incontinence and impotence. But he said, hey, don't make your mind up yet. Go away and have a think about it. <laughs> Sorry to laugh, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Come back whenever you're ready. It was, exactly. He said, well, you should come back within the year. The interesting thing is, you know, he's saying, would you like this or would you like that? And it's a bit like asking me, should we stay in Europe or should we leave? Sorry to mention that, but mm. don't ask me, what do I know about macroeconomics? That's what I vote my MP in for to yeah. that, answer that sort of question for me. So anyway, we went off. And of course, <clears throat> when you're offered a choice, and the f I was brought up to think, well, my consultants, doctors, medics, they know everything. They've studied for years, but they've asked me what I should have. So a little bit disappointed, I have to say. But, of course, what happens in such a situation? You go off and do research. So onto the internet. And I found a local prostate cancer support group. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go along. It takes a bit of courage to go along to something like that. There were about 60 men in the room. And the chairman stood up, welcomed everybody, a lovely warm welcome. And he said, and by the way, everyone, on the table at the back there, there's a pile of incontinence pads. Please help yourself. And I'm looking round and it was another one of those moments. What, what, am, I, what am I doing here? How did this happen? Anyway, talked to lots of people. There were, uh, uh, the men were so helpful, some at different stages of their cancer journey, some very ill indeed. Um, some been through therapies, but... What was key for me was the speaker there was a chap called Professor Carol Sikora. A previous podcast guest. Ah, yeah. well, he was the speaker and he talked about something called proton beam therapy. And I was half listening because I'd had some pretty in-depth conversations with the people around me on the table. And he's, I picked up about the benefit of avoiding some of these traumatic side effects. So... That is my first uh, connection with proton beam therapy. And here's the thing, just to uh, understand what it's about. Photons is used with in conventional radiotherapy. So the photons are a bit like a beam of light coming into your body, into where the cancer is, zaps it, and then they leave your body. And on their way in and on their way out... They're the same strength, they damage things. Mm. So there's a lot of collateral damage. Hence... Chances of impotence, incontinence, damage to the, the nerves, um, bowel problems, you know, all of that. Now, protons go in low charge. This is all quantum physics, and I haven't got a clue about it, really. But You're doing uh, pretty well, I've got to say. <laughs> this is in layman's terms. The pro protons go in low charge, so they don't really damage anything. They reach the cancer, they zap it, so they fire up, and then they stop. So there's a, a, a massive reduction in the risk of side effects. Wow. Now, the obvious question then is, is it beyond the financial means of people? I mean, I have no idea as to the cost yeah. of these things. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm also very interested, because you've raised a couple of important points. Let's, let's maybe talk about the cost in a moment. How, do you, how did you, if you can cast your mind back, how did you carry the worry? Because I suppose there's, a, there's an analogy here or there's a link to a lot, what a lot of people face time in from time to time, whether it's cancer, whether it's um, you know, a problem in business or yes. life or whatever. Yes. A lot of people deal with worry to a greater or lesser extent every single day. How did you deal mm -hmm. with that worry? Because if you've got something growing inside you, you want to deal with it straight away. But you were measured enough to take your time 
as difficult as it was and do your research and clearly become uh, pretty knowledgeable. Um, but, but was there a process you went through? Was there a thought that you had? Was there a mantra you lived by? How, how on earth did you live with that worry? I'm dreadful for worry. Somebody once told me that worry is a pointless emotion. What does it achieve? Absolutely nothing. And of course, the worst time is when you're trying to sleep at night. You can do nothing, but your mind, I wake up and my mind's off whirring. I, uh, at one point in my business journey, the company was running out of money. That is just one of the worst things. That I had nothing else, nothing except my shares in the business. Nothing, like a mortgage on a nothing. Mm. And for that, after, if you think, 20-odd years of, of work, to suddenly face losing all that because we were one, worrying, uh, running out of money, uh, just worry, just dreadful. And, of course, that doesn't do you any good. Mm. So with this... In a sense, the same, but slightly different because I was almost in denial because I feeling, was feeling so good. Mm. And I feel a little bit of a con here because I know there are some dreadful illnesses that people face. Dreadful and coincidentally, a colleague at work during the process of diagnosis, this colleague, um, Jim, who's no longer with us, was dying of prostate cancer at the time. Just... So I was watching him lose his battle whilst I was going through the process of diagnosis. Mm. So how I dealt with it was slightly denial. Um, my fiance Rebecca, we're now married and very happy, but uh, supported me and, and and kept things in proportion. So it helps to have somebody who can just be there mm. for you. And it's really a bit like my approach to business, which each time you overcome each hurdle, rather than think ahead, it's almost about living in the now, mm. this moment, overcoming each hurdle, moving on to the next. Mm. So it was a, a logical step-by-step -step process, but so, not easy. So Rebecca, who's in the studio today, hi Rebecca, uh, obviously a very important part of your support network. I guess there was a lot to be learned from that group of people in the prostate yes. cancer support group. Yeah. What did you learn from them, if anything? Because, I mean, clearly, the one thing I guess they did bring to the table was a good deal of perspective for you because you saw people in various yes. states of yes. dealing with their own particular condition. Well, probably the worst thing I learned was having... Um, we all know people or friends of people who've had prostate cancer, one in eight of us in the UK is going to have prostate cancer. If, our, if your ethnic, ethnicity is black African, then it's one in four. Wow. This is frightening stuff. So um, by talking to other people, I just, I spoke to four people that I knew that had had uh, prostate surgery. All four are impotent. So... <laughs> You know, the whole, these sorts of things, these learnings were just mm. just frightening, absolutely. So it was this, this fortunate meeting that I attended. And I think that's the key thing there, Sandro. It's about chatting to people. Mm. And that's why I've created this initiative, Men Are Talking, because, you know, I come from, my father was quite a sort of Victorian esque type man and we don't talk about that stuff and so that stiff upper lip um is is very much part of me but actually we do need to start talking about it so my initiative men are talking is very much part of that and here's the thing i look at my own behaviors on this and um 
when I'm talking about it, and I'm saying men should start to talk about erectile dysfunction and impotence and things, but the first thing when I talk to people, I'm so anxious to say, but I was symptomless. And that's ingrained me. That's saying, oh, everything's working down there. Thank you very much. Mm. Isn't that interesting? We look at ourselves and from a... a a man's perspective, it, we're so anxious to say, yes, I'm virile and, mm. uh, and and I see it in myself. You know, I'm sure I've mentioned it today. I'm, I'm symptomless, yeah. which is really my words for saying I'm fine down there. Yeah. So, yeah. So your initiative, let's talk about that, because that's a very, very important part of now of who you are. And uh, I know it has a far-reaching benefits for lots and lots of people. And there's loads of articles where there's lots of well-known people that are getting involved in the movement, I guess. Indeed. So tell us a little bit about your So your men campaign. are talking. So I learnt from Professor Carol Sakura about proton beam therapy. So the first thing I did was scuttle off back to my consultant and said, hey, I've learned about proton beam therapy. And there was a folding of the arms and a sort of there's no data to support it. So with all my enthusiasm, thinking I've found the holy grail in... <laughs> cancer treatment for prostate cancer, for my prostate cancer treatment, um, it suddenly was quite deflated. But in research, there might not be the historical data, which will be around in 15 years' time after they've had 15 years of results, but anecdotal evidence, and sometimes you have to rely on intuition. Mm. That was the thing with business, intuition. Ever, whenever I sort of digressed from that and listened to the, uh, the voice of experts, things would go wrong. My intuition served me well. And so the anecdotal evidence, for instance, in Prague, they've been treating people for five years, 1,400 people, I think, and with total success, 99% success, wow. I think. Difficult to ignore those stats, really. Difficult, yeah. And I yeah. suppose every every cure or everything that leads to greater outcomes starts somewhere. It starts with an idea. It starts with some testing. Um, and I suppose the, the you, you're paraphrasing now, you talk about the doctor folding of the arms and saying there's there's no information to support. No data, yeah. 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 But but the round, there's probably no data that he's got round to reading just yet or Maybe has, so. has seen, you know, yes. up close and personal. Yeah. Well, since that, actually, uh, on Boxing Day of last year, so that's the one just gone, the U University of Pennsylvania released some research and data that is now there, evidence to say the side effects from proton beam therapy are significantly less. Mm -hmm. So there it is. It's starting to come in. But meanwhile, there are young men, and when I say young men in their 50s, 60s and 70s, who are in loving relationships, partnerships, you know, uh, still functioning men who want to be intimate with their partners and close and you know um they're they're not hearing about proton beam therapy that's why i want to talk about it because the national health which is a wonderful organization um won't mention it so and it's going to bring us to the cost because the national health whilst they have opened their first proton beam center at the manchester uh hospital, the Christie, and they're about to open their second one in London, they won't be treating prostate cancer. It's going to be used, rightly so, for cancers in children, because of course it doesn't do the collateral damage. Mm. That's why it's so good at that. Brain tumours, lung tumours, but prostate cancer, the surgery works, but what quality of life yeah. afterwards. So unfortunately, it's only avail available privately, which brings us on to the cost. Yeah.
So how much does it cost? Uh, the cost is coming down because when I, I had a series of 20 fractions, so 20 days, we were in Wales and we went in every day for a treatment, painless tr treatment. It just happens. It's just mm. you lie there and it makes a slightly buzzing sound for a minute or two. Um, but now, probably, I could have 10 fractions and they'll do double the strength. Um, so that the, everything's working and, and, and allowing that. I say, because, it, of course, it varies on the patient, their particular cancers and symptoms, but it's about the cost as, of a, a family car. Mm. And I know that's quite a wide parameter, but it makes you think, I happen to have some savings. However, I'd have sold the family car. I'd have borrowed. Well, I was going to come on to that. Yes. Because we've got to put, put that into perspective too. You know, it's an interesting that um, you say you hadn't been for a MOT, to use the car analogy, but you yeah. haven't been for a medical for years and years and years because yeah. you've been too busy running yeah. your business. And yeah. um, although that's something that, you know, something I do religiously every few years because I've lost father and stepfather through yes. ca to cancer. But a lot of people just ignore the fact that they are the most important vehicle in their household and yet they don't insure it, they don't yes. service it. Yep. Um, so I think there's a very important message to people out there that, you know, the, the discipline of going every year for a medical, let's say, OK, might be painful in financial terms, but it's far less painful than, than the regret they feel if something happens and they've gone got to the point of no return. Yes. Yeah, so there's a message here for and they're now saying in your 40s that you should go and get your PSA measured. Um it's not if you've just cycled down there your PSA is likely to be um higher. So there's lots of uh circumstances where your PSA can be increased and it's not the whole thing but what it does do is give you a little bit of an indicator. There's a big debate in the UK at the moment about setting up a screening uh, a process for mm. for men. Um, a lot of people are dead against it. But of course, if I hadn't been screened, then you wouldn't be saying well, well, I wouldn't know, you know or yeah. I'd probably be fighting something far more serious. Because the point being, you need to catch it before it spreads. Yeah. So yeah, it's so the men are talking initiative is really about getting men to talk about. You know, our, our intimate bits, if you like. Interestingly enough, it's just been announced that prostate cancer deaths per year is now over 12,000 in the UK um, and going up. Breast cancer is less going down, which is wonderful news. Mm -hmm. But isn't that interesting? We're sort of coming to the fore now. And by the year 2030 in the UK, prostate cancer will be the uh, most po uh, popular, mm. wrong word, but uh, mm. cancer diagnosed in the UK. Yeah. That, that's very interesting. I, I don't know the reason for those numbers um, heading in the directions they're going in. But I guess to your point, Timon, which is there's a, there's a degree of ignorance there's there's definitely a degree of bury head in sand because I'm a man and I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just I guess the way we're built physiologically and in terms of our roles in society, I guess that's one of the biggest challenges for us as men, leaders of families and communities generally. And I'm not being uh, sexist when I say that. Um, so that clearly is a challenge for all of us. You you now refer to yourself, I know, as kind of retired, inverted commas, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what, what are the retirement years going to bring? What are you, I mean, obviously yeah. a very, very important movement that you're starting and campaigning and so on. But, you know, what is the, 
what does the next sort of five, oh. ten years hold yeah, Thank for, you for, for asking that, because that's it, it, it sort of started off as a gap year. And then having been at the beck and call of so many people and so many sort of factors from the outside, business and everything, to actually decide for myself and with my wife together what we're going to do is just luxury. I tell you when it first hit me is when I came back from holiday once uh, when I realised I needed to get out and I took a few extra days off and I did something I hadn't done for years. I hung the washing out. And you think, well, what? What do you mean? Well, normally, washing in the washing machine, out of the washing machine, in the tumble dryer, next load in, out of the tumble dryer, fold it up, put it away in the drawers, next... You know, but to be in the garden and just hang up the washing and have that time, and that's what I want to do. Not all the time, but... um, I'm studying the jazz guitar. I play in a a, a function band, and... uh, I just want to go a little bit more in depth. And you see, my father died with dementia at the age of 19. Mother, unfortunately, is riddled with dementia, a dreadful thing. And they say you need to exercise the hippocampus, learn a foreign language. Well, jazz is a foreign language. So I'm doing that. to me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But it's great on the guitar. I'm loving that. And uh, Rebecca and I are travelling a bit. And we're just walking and just taking time. And the wealth changes from a monetary thing to time. So it sees the day and that that's it, really. I'm not interested in... A f- I used to drive quite big cars and things. I'm just... Mm. We've got a wonderful Mazda 2. I love it. So what do you say to people then, Timon, who... <laughs> you both peered at each other then. Um, but do you know what? That is a fantastic message. I, I guess my obvious question to you then in response is... Uh, there's been a life event, there's been a particular challenge you've had to face that's put a lot of stuff into perspective. So people will, the sceptics will say, well, it's easy for you to make that decision now. It's easy for you to go walking and enjoy those moments and hanging the washing out, which, by the way, I have to say, it's almost the title of a book right there. Um, (laughs) I hung the washing out. Um, But, I mean, I think that's an analogy for so many different things. I suppose my question to you on behalf of all the sceptics out there is, does it take a life event, the magnitude of which you had to face, to change your perspective of life. And I ask you that both as a cancer survivor, but also as a businessman with all the skills you've accumulated over the years. That's a really good question. And to answer it, it has to be from that day that I hung the washing out, which was about four years before I had a cancer diagnosis. Right. I suddenly realised I was missing life. Um, and whilst I'd built this business and had a little bit of a name for myself, I suppose, in Oxfordshire, in that sort of commercial arena. Uh, We'd won awards at the Business Awards, a national award. Uh, Just, you know, we we, I created a brand, had something, but I just had enough. Uh, Burnt out, maybe. I'd had enough. Mm. I was exhausted from it. So, that was the life-changing thing, and it took such a long to get to, time to get there. And then I met Rebecca, and uh, the, the business sale came along, and then this cancer diagnosis. It all sort of happened. So it wasn't really that. It was the business and the sudden appreciation of of what was happening. And it's getting older. Mm. When you're younger, you think, "Whoa, ever, you know, you could bring it on." Yeah. Suddenly, you think, "No, I don't want it brought on anymore." 
I don't want that. I used to hear all those lovely things from my parents, God rest my father's soul, but all those things from parents, you know, uh, that you swore as a kid you'd never say to your own kids. You know, you treat the place oh, yes. like a hotel and, you know, all those other great things that we used to hear. And I've repeated them over and over and yes. over again. Yeah. Like they're part of my subconscious. So um, I'm going to ask you, if you, we, we normally ask this question last to every one of our guests, but I want to ask you now because I think it ties in beautifully with what you've just said. And that is, with all that you've learnt throughout your your incredible journey, both as a businessman, but also uh, given the cancer you've had to deal with and all that you went through emotionally and physically, what one piece of advice would you give, not even to a younger version of yourself, because that's normally the question we mm-hmm. ask, but to all those people out there that kind of go, right, Timon, <laughs> goodness, your CV is, uh, you know, is awash with experience. What bit of advice would you give to people who are looking to deal with a challenge in life, not quite know where they want to go, got a great idea, don't know how to get out of the starting blocks and all those other great excuses we hear people coming out with. And I say that with no disrespect to people who are struggling for whatever reason in life. Given all of your life's experience, with the benefit of hindsight, because you mentioned that earlier, what bit of advice would you give to people who kind of go, show us the way? I so wish I'd learnt this earlier on in my journey. Something that goes hand in hand with each other. One is show your vulnerability. Absolutely be comfortable in that. And that goes with being authentic, being real, the real you. You have good days and bad days. Be absolutely fine to to share that. So, for instance, when we used to hold meetings at work, we would check in. And you went round and just said whatever you liked. Things are good, things are bad, having problem with my... Uh, son who started smoking behind the bike sheds or whatever just share stuff the real you Mm. um and sharing your vulnerability what happens is people warm to you oh you're human then you're normal and 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 that is such a powerful thing and then at the end of the meetings we'd go around and check out and that's a really powerful thing everybody in that meeting room gets the chance to say well that was a waste of time or that was good, or I felt we brushed over this, or no, I got a lot out of that. So having sitting around the meeting, check in and check out. And checking in is often about sh- sharing your vulnerable side, what's going on at home or at work or whatever. Really powerful stuff. Mm. So I'm going to, I mean, I've got a copy of your CV in front of me, which does make incredible reading. Before I pick out a couple of final bits, just to touch on with you, um, Share with us, if you will, how we find out more about you as an individual. Social media, despite the fact you're 59, you can't, <laughs> you can't kid me that you're not on social media somewhere. Website, well, the, the campaign, the movement. Um, yeah. Time and Cosgrove, well, you know. The, this is very live at the moment. And my wife is brilliant on social media and she just steers me through that. And so this thing is sort of starting to grow now. This men are talking. And I'm rather enjoying it because the message is real. The message is really important. So uh, I have actually listened to this. I've registered a domain. So I can be contacted Timon at menartalking.co.uk. So if anybody has some points that they just want a, a guidance on something that I can share through my journey and experience, I'd be delighted to do so or point somebody in the right direction if I have an idea because it's been quite a journey that I've been through. Mm. But where this goes, I don't know. It, it, I'm talking more about it and actually probably being a little bit more formidable in my abilities to share private personal stuff. 
that's another interesting point. I'm going to just touch on, if I may, before we close up. Um, where it goes. Sometimes people are obsessed with the vision, the mission statement, the plan, and never want to deviate from it. What I'm getting a sense of is you're just kind of going with the flow and enjoying the moment rather than um, perhaps what you, you know, compartmentalised, you were kind of square peg round hole, whatever these things are that we experience in, in life and business, you know, turn up at work at nine, go home at five and all the other bits in between. What I'm getting a sense of from you, Timon, is um, you're just seeing where life takes you. And that's really refreshing to hear. I think there's a reason for that is because I found organic growth, in other words, natural growth through people telling people, sharing stuff. Organic gro- growth is the most sustainable and the arguably the easiest. The problem is in today's commercial world, organic growth isn't fast enough. And I think that's a little bit of a shame because gentle organic growth finding its way, and it's about the law of attraction, you attract into your world and your business what you require and what you want. So organic growth, yes, indeed. What is success then for you? Because you've clearly identified the fact that for Time and Colgrove, it's not, it's not about money anymore it ceased to be as important like i understand it's got a place in life but what would you say your definition i don't ask, i don't ask this of many people because i don't think too many people actually know because they don't have the relevant experience so what would success be for time and cold that's easy is it easiest question we should come up it, with something more complex then it's <laughs> it's happiness now it's enjoying the moment carpe diem Seize the day, this moment, meeting a really interesting person. How cool is yeah, that? Yeah, shame you couldn't make it. Wasn't it? <laughs> <But> <laughs> no, thank Sandra, you, you know I mean. <laughs> but, you know, how brilliant. Uh, 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 lucky me. Lucky me. Well, lucky us, I have to say. Uh, two days ago, this wasn't happening. And then all of a sudden, through the lovely... Um, through the lovely Melanie Fowder, who's been super for this this particular podcast series, uh, we got to meet, and it's been a real joy. On your birthday, many happy oh, returns yes. again on behalf much. of everyone yeah. listening, yeah. but also World Cancer Day. And the reason we made this happen today was particularly because it was so it was so topical and timely. So although this is pre-recorded, it was done for a specific reason. So everyone will be hearing your message very, very soon. And it's both inspiring and uplifting, and it gives people an, an awful lot of hope when, for many listeners out there, um, things are particularly challenging for whatever Indeed. reason. So yeah. thank you on behalf of very, very, very many people listening from lots and lots and lots of countries around the world. Um, and hopefully we can perhaps invite you back and we'll do some deep dive exploration around your business life and uh, and what really makes you tick. Oh, I'd love to do that. And Sandro, thank you very much for being such a great host. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Pleasure has been ours. So thank you very much. Well, that was Timon uh, Colgrove on the Sandro Forte podcast. Wasn't he absolutely amazing? Remember, each week we've got a new guest joining us to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life's challenges. So please make sure you subscribe. Follow us on social media, Sandro's Podcast. Remember, same on all channels. And if you want to email us, it's the same as always. Hello at sandrospodcast.com. Leave those reviews on iTunes. And don't forget to listen in this time next week. Bye for now.